everyone. It is March 30th. This is episode 25, uh, which is actually going to be the last episode of season one. Uh, my name is Brett Jacobson, and this is the Airport Wild podcast presented to you by Lumakers Wildlife Management. Today's show, we have uh, Kaylee Resha and Sean Langevin from the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, they're going to join us and talk a little bit about the NWTF, as well as some of the things that they're running into uh, while working with wildlife. So sit back, relax. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, please follow us on Facebook and like us on Instagram. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Airport Wild Podcast. Um, on today's show, we're going to be talking turkey. Um, we have two uh, representatives from the NWTF, also known as the National Wild Turkey uh, Federation. Uh, we have Kaylee Resha and Sean Lagavin. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that. Um, but how are you guys doing today? Good, Brett. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Kaylee, how are you doing? Hey, Brett. Thanks for having us on. Everything's really good over here. Absolutely. Okay, so Kaylee, we're going to start with you because, you know, ladies first and we do have we do have manners on this show. Um, so just give me a brief introduction of who you are, kind of your background and uh, your role at the uh, at the NWTF. Sure. So I'll kind of start off with who I am and what I do a little bit, and then I'll lead into everything else. So my name is Kaylee Risha, and I'm a project biologist for the National Wild Turkey Federation, which kind of means that I have the cool job and I get to do a lot of the landscape and, and habitat um, enhancements across the state of New York. I'm stationed in New York. I currently live in Connecticut, but it's just a little hop, skip, and a jump to, to sure, my work absolutely. area. And so a little bit of my background is that I went to school for wildlife management. Um, I went to school at the University of Tennessee at Martin, which is a little school over in Western Tennessee, which had excellent duck hunting. I was really fortunate to have a lot of friends that were willing to take me along. And, and I got to do a little bit of duck hunting as long with the like, raccoon and deer and turkey and a little bit of everything. And so what I really was fortunate with, with that school in particular in my education was that we did a lot of on the ground work in our classes. We had a class that we did prescribed burning and we had um, other classes where we were in the field doing this work that I'm currently doing today. And it was a really big help for me when I got out of school, along with just our active uh, wildlife society chapter that we had at that, that school. So my schooling was really a a step forward and really helped push me into getting these this job and, and having such a really cool job where I'm able to actually manipulate the habitat and help wildlife and see that work actually being done and, and coming to completion. So that's a little bit of my school background um, and I'll, I can go into my job description a little bit better for you. So yeah. I'm actually working with the Natural Resource Conservation Service, so NRCS, 
I actually have an office in one of their offices. And what I do is I help private landowners improve their property for wildlife. We have a focus in my area of New York um, on young forest and shrubland habitat, which is beneficial for things such as New England cottontail, rough grouse, American woodcock, turkeys, of course, as well as a lot of other songbirds, everything down all the way to butterflies. And so this habitat's very specific and that's something that's lacking in New York State overall, and especially lacking in my area of New York State. So I cover from Albany south to New York City, pretty much every county that touches the Hudson River. And so what's cool about it is I'm able to go out to these, people these people's property and I'm able to look at their property with them and help them enhance it for wildlife. And through NRCS, I'm able to help some people find funding to get that work done. So it's not 100% cost covered, but any little bit of money helps. And NRCS is able through um, their program called EQIP. So that's Environmental Quality Incentive Program, which helps private landowners to improve habitat for wildlife. Nice. That was way better of an introduction than I could have ever have done for you. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I uh, glad I, I asked that. So, um, all right. So, Sean, all right. Same thing. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for the NWTF, what your background is and all that good stuff. Well, I'd like to say that you're leaving the best for last, but I don't know how I'm, I'm going to follow that up. Um, We'll say this. We'll just say that we're definitely leaving the best beard on this podcast for last. <laughs> winter, winter time isn't quite over here in New York. They're calling no, for six no. inches of snow here in a few days. So. Nor is the COVID, uh, the COVID 50. I'm still working on that. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Go ahead. Sorry. So uh, my name is Sean Longevin. I am a regional director uh, here at the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, it'll be eight years in June that I got hired. Um, my background is I uh, was born and raised in Shenango County, New York, where I still live, uh, in the town of Green. I uh, went to SUNY Cobleskill. If anybody's familiar with the SUNY program at State University of New York, um, but it's uh, Cobleskill. I went for wildlife management. It's really a small college outside of Albany, um, about an hour south west of Albany down Route 88. So I got a bachelor's degree in wildlife management. I was one of those kids that just, when I got out of high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I loved to hunt, I loved to fish, and I wanted to have a life and a career that revolved around that. And uh, I figured the best way to do that would be going to wildlife management, not realizing exactly what it was. And I loved it. Probably if I went to school for anything else, I don't know if I'd have made it. Um, I'm kind of one of those people who just loves being outside, loves the outdoors, and uh, I graduated, uh, got a job with a company doing wetland mitigation work and erosion and sediment stuff, did that for about a year, and then the Turkey Federation came along and got a job with them, um, and I've been there since. So it's been, it's been a wild ride, but it's been great. I love the, the volunteers that I work with, I love the people that I work with, and ultimately I'm... I'm working in an area that is just my passion that it's not even a job for me anymore. It's a, it's just a lifestyle that I live every day. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, I think, uh, that's one of the, you know, um, when doing hosting this show, for example, 
Um, and then obviously the position that I hold, you know, I get to, I get to talk to, you know, quite a bit of, you know, um, people like yourself that work in this, in the industry of whether it's, you know, wildlife biology or, um, you know, wildlife mitigation or anything like that, right? Just working in the outdoors. And uh, that definitely seems like the popular theme is, you know, you guys get to do really, really cool stuff, right? So, um, which kind of leads us into this next thing. Um, so you guys both kind of talked about your love for the outdoors. Where, we'll start with you, Sean. Where does that come from? Tell me a little bit, kind of, you know, growing up, what was, uh, what was your childhood like? I know for me, I grew up on the shores of Lake Ontario. So my mom always talks about, you know, how I wasn't a bad kid, but I was never home. Like curfew just didn't exist. I was always on, you know, on the lake or fishing in the streams or, you know, turkey hunting, you know, deer hunting. And I was just never home. So I was never in trouble, unlike my older sister. But uh, <laughs> that's a different topic. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your background. Where does the love from the outdoors come from? Uh, it's definitely a family passed down love. Um, I got a grandfather that just taught me and my cousins, my brother, how to hunt, how to fish. Um, my dad, you know, my uncles, we all, it was kind of a family tradition that when deer season came around, it was, it might as well have been Christmas morning. Um, yeah. You know, I graduated high school, so I can say this, but I was allowed to skip school for opening day of deer season every year. And it was just, it was the most exciting time of year for me. And, uh, yeah. you know, when I, when people think of New York state, they think of New York city and, and think of all the blacktop and pavement, pavement and high rises and whatnot. And believe it or not, I grew up on a dirt road. Uh, the closest kid my age that lived near me was my cousin who lived probably, you know, half a mile away or maybe a little more. And, um, in the summertime, I'd get up, set my alarm for five o'clock every morning, and I'd walk down to his house, and he had a pond in his backyard, and we'd fish yeah. for a few hours, and I'd go home, and it just, that's, that's what I did in the summer, um, nice. so I just, I was born into it, raised in it, and that's exactly how I'm raising my kids, and it's, um, it's just kind of, it's a family passed along tradition for us. Yeah, it's funny that you say that about, uh, when people think of New York, they think of, you know, they think of New York City, they think of, you know, the, the blacktops and stuff. So um, I, I, my first uh, out of state hunting trip, I went deer hunting out in Indiana, southern Indiana, and I was lucky enough to harvest deer. And when we took it to the, the processor, and we showed up with New York State license plates, he immediately was like, he's like, you guys shoot deer in New York? Like, how do you shoot them on sidewalks? How do you shoot them on skyscrapers and stuff like that? Now, granted, he had a very thick uh, Southern accent, but I won't even attempt that. So Kaylee, same question to you. I know you talked about a little bit of your time at Tennessee and Martin, duck hunting and stuff, but what was, uh, where does the love for the outdoors come from you? Where does that all start? So I actually have a kind of non-traditional hunting background. I grew up in a family that doesn't hunt. And I'm the only one in my family that hunts. And so my passion for the outdoors did come from my family, like Sean was talking about, but it was more hiking, fishing, camping. Um, my dad loves telling the story that when I was less than six months old, he had the whole family on a 30 mile canoe wilderness camping trip. And that my mom made him come home because I had gotten sick and there were coyotes across the river from us. Um, and so, I was very much outside a lot. It seemed like every night after dinner, 
in the summer, we'd go for a hike somewhere, we'd go fishing somewhere. And so I was very in tune with being outside and I loved it. And I was really hoping to find a profession that I could hang out outside. And I was able to find that through wildlife uh, biology. And it's been really wonderful. And it's, it's kind of interesting that I've been able to um, mesh my two passions. So my other passion growing up was horseback riding. Okay. And I have recently in New York found fox hunting clubs. <laughs> so I am able to fox hunt on horseback and have been able to participate in a few of those hunts the past like two or three years. And it's been really cool. Uh, definitely a different aspect of hunting. Sure. Um, but yeah, so the getting back a little bit into how I ended up being a hunter was really school. Um, I was interested in turkey hunting specifically in high mm -hmm. school, but I didn't know anyone. My dad didn't know anyone. I talked him into buying me a diaphragm call and I would walk around the horse barn practicing this diaphragm turkey call like every day. And, and I never had the opportunity to go out and actually use it. And now luckily, that's one of my one of my favorite calls to use because I can actually use it efficiently. Yeah. Uh, but it was in college that I found friends that helped me um, to kind of figure out the ins and outs of hunting and take me on my first couple of, of hunts. And then I from there, I kind of figured it out on my own. Uh, but yeah, it's been a it's been a really fun ride. Yeah. So one common thread that I kind of see with all three of us here is like, you know, we're obviously, we're doing something that involves, you know, wildlife in the outdoors. Yeah, we all kind of have that, you know, hunter mentality and hunting background, right? So, you know, when, when I started here, you know, I, I work with all wildlife biologists and I, I am not a wildlife biologist. Uh, my hats go off to, to, to both of you um, for either biology or wildlife management. Um, I kind of took a different route with life. So, you know, I went to a school called Finger Lakes Community College right out of high school and uh, played a little basketball there, but I guided waterfall and that's kind of what helped, uh, helped me pay for it. But it was a huge uh, like conservation and taxidermy school. Um, but I went for communication media arts. And then when I got out, I, you know, went right into corporate America, you know, selling payroll and HR. And I was always miserable, you know? So I still, you know, I worked in corporate America for oh, a good, I think 11 years. And then when the opportunity came to, you know, to, to work for a company that, you know, was all about either wildlife management or just working with wildlife, um, I was very hesitant because, you know, my background is completely different. But I had that passion for the outdoors. I had that passion for wildlife. Um, so hearing you guys talk about, you know, kind of the same background, uh, Sean, we'll start with you. What do you think, you know, your passion for the outdoors, you know, where do you think that background really, you know, excels your, your career right now with the NWTF? Where do, you, where do you think that translates? Where I would say that translates all on a few different places. The, the number one, I would say, is the volunteers that we have. Um, you know, obviously, I'm going to be biased about it, but I think we have the greatest volunteers in the world that are a part of this organization. And sure. um, most are hunters, some are not. Some just see what the organization does as a whole and love it and want to be a part of it. Others are hunters, and they want to give back 
to uh, to a resource that they're they've been able to enjoy their entire life. Um, so one of my favorite parts of the job is being able to go to a a, a committee meeting for a chapter or um, when we're having one of our banquet fundraisers. Uh, just the the people I get to meet that come up and just want to tell me hunting stories. Sure. Um, the kids that I get to meet in a year that have shot their first turkey or people like Kaylee that have grown up in a family that um, don't hunt and the Turkey Federation provided a um, an avenue for somebody like her to, to go out hunting for the first time mm-hmm. um, and just the smiles and and you can just see the energy in people's eyes that hunting brings to their life and um, yeah, it's a passion it's definitely it's a passion yeah so, um, so Kaylee, same question. Where do you think, you know, that kind of gets you, I mean, basically gets you up in the morning, gets you passionate about going to work, right? I, I again, like Sean said, I don't feel like I'm working. I, yeah. This morning I had a, a meeting with a forester on a property. Um, I met him first thing this morning and we got to go walk through the woods and look for turkey sign and look at the trees. And we're trying to identify an area on this property that would be best to do a timber stand improvement where we can improve the habitat for the wildlife as well as improving the future timber that can be harvested off of that property. And being able to work with these landowners and teach the landowners what you're seeing is really kind of what makes it all come together for me. When I'm done with a site visit and someone is just over the moon with with the fact that they have good things on their property. They learned what an, what a white oak tree looks like. They learned what direction a, a deer track was going. These little things that these people are able to pick up from our time together is really, it's really inspirational and, and makes my job very enjoyable. So one of the big things I love about, you know, and we're going to shift gears. We'll talk a lot about the the Turkey Federation now. Um, So the Turkey Federation, correct me if I'm wrong, was founded, I think in like 1972 or 73, right? And um, the motto, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is save the habitat, save the hunt. And uh, so, you know, both of you guys, I mean, obviously, you know, the Federation is, is, is very, is predicated and, and heavily weighted on what you were talking about, Sean, is, is volunteer work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the, you know, just kind of give me the rundown of, you know, talk about what the National Wild Turkey Federation stands for, what your mission is, kind of walk me through that process, uh, Sean. So the National Wild Turkey Federation was founded in 1973. Uh, the mission of the organization is the conservation of the wild turkey and preservation of our hunting heritage. Um, the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt is a, was a 10-year initiative that we are wrapping up in the next year or two uh, that you mentioned. And not only are we wrapping it up, but the, the goals that we set for the organization, we've already hit them. Um, so even though the initiative is still going on, we reached the goals and we're starting to look forward to what's next. Um, but with that, uh, yeah, we're a volunteer based organization. Uh, we have a national board that is volunteers that are kind of the, um, the business managers of the organization as volunteers. Um, and it, it starts going from there. We got the national board, there's a state board level. So we have a state board here in New York that's comprised of volunteers. 
that is uh, a group of 18 to 20 people that meet quarterly and uh, they're, they're people from all around New York. And then it kind of goes to our local chapter at that point uh, where we have uh, 48 different local chapters here in New York state um, all throughout the state. And those volunteers are the driving force behind this organization. Without them, the organization wouldn't be where it's at. It wouldn't exist. Um, we wouldn't be able to make the wildlife impacts that we do, uh, not just for the wild turkey, but as Kaylee mentioned earlier, um, all the different animals that benefit from it, whether it's grouse, deer, elk, uh, chickadees, whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of turkeys that benefit, or a lot of animals that benefit from the wild turkey uh, because the, the wild turkey is a generalist uh, species that, um, you know, they're not looking for something so specific that they're the only animal that can thrive in that kind of, you know, they're not a muskox. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few of those. Um, I have the goal numbers. If you, if for the yeah. save the habitat, save the hunt initiative, our goals were to either conserve or enhance 4 million acres to open access um, to hunting acres of at least 500,000 acres and to create um, 1.5 million new hunters throughout the life of this initiative. And like Sean said, we were able to exceed all of those numbers. And, and it's really great because that's literally nationwide. We are NWTF, so the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's not just in New York, it's not just in Florida, it's literally the whole nation. Yeah, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So um, you guys do quite a bit. So one of the initiatives you, you talked about were, were new hunters, okay? Um, you guys are very involved uh, with like youth programs and youth hunts and, and stuff like that. Can either one of you kind of talk about some of the stuff that you guys focus on? Because uh, I know obviously we talked about all of our hunting heritage and background and um, you know it, it's very important and I, I kind of feel maybe you disagree maybe you agree it's something that's kind of getting lost in uh, today's world uh, that's probably you know mainly dominated by video games and social media and stuff like that but yeah if either one of you guys want to talk about a little bit of some of the initiatives that you do for uh, for youth hunting go ahead yeah, so um, we've got three major programs uh, throughout the country that is a part of the Turkey Federation. We have our Jake's program, which was uh, meant for younger kids, 17 and under. Um, it, it's an opportunity to introduce kids to the outdoors. It's an introduce to, to or meant to introduce kids to hunting. Uh, there's a lot of mentorship programs through that, uh, depending on the state that you're in, working with the local state agencies. Um, we work with other different partners, other NGOs, and uh, that program is meant to introduce kids to hunting in the outdoors. Uh, we also have uh, a program called Women in the Outdoors that was uh, brought in to help with introducing women. Um, there's a staggering statistic that um, in a household, if uh, a father and a mother both hunt, the amount of the, the statistic of the kids that, that end up becoming hunters is drastically increased um, because of that. Um, the other program we have is a wheel and sportsman's program that was met as a way to get people that um, 
have different reasons that they can't make it into the woods, whether they're bound to a wheelchair. Um, here in New York, a big part of that has been wounded veteran hunts um, that we take men and women that have served overseas for our country and uh, get them out in the woods, get them out with an opportunity to hunt, to fish. Um, a lot of our wounded vets have struggles with being able to, to climb a mountain because they've you know, lost limbs or whatever it may be. And uh, we try to do uh, the best we can to provide a way to get them out there. Um, and there's a lot of times it's not just about getting somebody new to hunting. It's also retaining somebody that was a hunter. Um, you know, maybe we got a person that is uh, hunted and served overseas and came back. And now because of an injury overseas, they can't, they can't, they just can't hunt anymore. It's, it's too hard. Sure. So we try to retain them as a hunter and show them, Hey, like we've got people that are willing to help you and willing to, uh, willing to get you back in the outdoors. Uh, the same thing goes for anyone, a kid, whatever it may be. Um, women right now is the fastest uh, growing demographic in the hunting world. And um, the women in the outdoor programs, we've got chapters throughout the country doing great events, doing great things with that. A lot of them ran by women um, for women. And it's, it's really a great program. And it's really cool to see, um, you know, hunting was always looked at as a man's sport and it's not, it's, it's for men and women. And uh, it's really cool to see the amount of women that go out and hunt every year that turkey hunt. And it's really pretty neat. Nice. Kaylee, um, have you, have you gotten your hands involved in any of the, uh, female run events or anything like that? So, yeah, I was actually just going to try to chime in right there. So, yeah, so the, um, I want to put a little bit of a plug. So if you are a girl that's listening to this and you don't know that you want to hunt, a lot of these women in the outdoors programs aren't just solely hunting based, they're outdoors based. So if you ever wanted to learn how to can some of them do canning classes, some of them do dog training classes, some of them do fishing and kayaking. It's not solely hunting um, specific. So if you are a little bit intimidated or you're not sure that that's what you wanna do, or maybe you even just wanna become more educated on firearms, you can take these classes and a lot of them are, we, we try to have women instructors because it can also be intimidating to have someone like your father or your grandfather or your your boyfriend like telling you how to do these things that and you're uncomfortable like kind of sharing that you're uncomfortable or sharing what your lack of knowledge is and so a lot of times if you have a female instructor um it seems like like the girls the ladies are able to open up more and ask more questions and so i would say if you have any of these programs in your area and you're not sure that you want to shoot a gun, but you would like to just learn more about firearms, go and someone will, will happily talk to you and, and cater to your comfort level. Um, at least that's been my experience when I've gone to these, these women events and there aren't, um, there's a, there's a lot of them. There's not just NWTF events. There's also state run events as well that are nationwide. Um, so yeah, like if do a little bit of a Google search, if anyone's ever interested in this type of stuff, it's really interesting to see such a big group of women and everyone um, being so excited and, and learning so many new things. 
Yeah. So, you know, I kind of want to touch on that because, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of a topic that, you know, um, kind of near and dear to my heart. So, um, you know, we were I think Sean briefly talked about how, you know, the outdoors, it's not just for men, you know, it's and and the female, you know, trend is a growing trend and the numbers are, are, are staggering in, in my opinion, you know, and a lot of, uh, a lot of my coworkers, you know, we are kind of deemed like a, a, a male driven industry because, you know, we're working, we're, we're on airfields trapping, we're, you know, we're doing mitigation stuff like that. Right. But the majority of our company is all females and we have, we are a, a female owned business. Um, and people just don't know that. And, um, you know, when we're constantly working with some of our clients and it's, it's predominantly male, um, do you guys kind of see that? I mean, you guys both have, I mean, obviously it, it kind of sets up pretty nice because Sean, you went to SUNY, or SUNY Cobalt Skill, which is kind of in the sticks of, <laughs> of New York and then Tennessee and Martin, you know, it's two completely, demo, uh, completely different demographics and uh, geographically as well. Did you guys see that kind of trend in, in when you guys were in college too, as well, where more females were getting involved? Yeah, definitely with me. So it was still a male, like based, like most of, of our wildlife students were, were guys, but we definitely had, um, it seemed like each year there was like a couple more women or that were enrolling into our program and and wanting to be wildlife biologists and I've seen a little bit of it um I feel like I'm at the age where I missed like the major transition um I feel like there are a lot more women in wildlife now than there were 10 years ago and I've never felt uncomfortable with it I was the only girl today out of four people in our in our meeting and it was never an issue. It's never been an issue for me um, as far as being on the ground or people listening to, to my recommendations. And, and I think that it's definitely trending that way, that it's going to be more women than men eventually. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, um, when I was there, there was definitely quite a few women that were in the program. Um, what I see now I just get on Facebook and see the different pictures from the program doing different labs. And it's almost starting to look like that's happened where there's more women in the program than men. Um, I can speak that we do have a collegiate chapter at SUNY Cobleskill and it is majority women that are involved in that chapter. So um, for all the guys out there that go in there and uh, the women are kicking your butts. I mean, they're, they're, they're going there, they're doing the work, they're volunteering, they're being a part of it. And it's really pretty cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, eh, look, you know, we're not, we're not sheltered from, you know, what we see on the news and what we see in social media. Um, so it, it, it is, this is, I think this is one of those industries, um, you know, particularly where we're talking about, you know, whether it's wildlife or the outdoors, like you automatically think of, you know, you know, taking your, your son hunting, but I see plenty of fathers. I mean, even myself, you know, um, I'm fortunate. I had um, four stepdaughters and every single one of them has gone hunting with me. 
They all have their own set of camo. You know, some of them are pink, but whatever. But over the last two years, I've gotten them extremely involved in hunting and fishing and camping, which, you know, they had never done before. Um, you know, the same thing, you know, my, my oldest, who's 12, you know, he's big outdoors, you know, loves the outdoors. And, um, but, you know, it's four to one. Um, so, and they love it. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely goes without saying that this is one of those, I, you know, if you wanted to, you know, quote me on it, it's, it's a win, it's a win for women, you know, because the outdoors was always, always a male driven industry or, you know, um, and now it, you know, like Kaylee said, you know, they're making a company, <laughs> they're kicking mm -hmm. our, what you said, they're kicking our butts. So that's great. I'm glad we could touch on that. So um, let's get back to the Turkey Federation here. So obviously um, it's volunteer driven, but it's also, um, you know, you guys, your, your lifeline is, is, is donations and fundraising, right? Um, talk to me a little bit about some of the projects that, that you're working on right now, Sean. I know, um, you know, we could talk about the impact of COVID last year. I know in our pre-interview, we were talking about, um, you know, uh, a fundraiser that I actually was a part of that had to be canceled. What are you seeing now this year compared to last year? So the trends that we seem to be seeing nationwide are people are ready to get back to what they love. They're ready to get back to the fundraisers that we have. They, they want to get back to supporting the organization. Um, are we having the same amount of people as before COVID? No. Um, you know, we're, we're doing it as safe as we can. We're doing it within the, the laws and regulations of each state, uh, here in New York, uh, we're a little more restrictive. So we're not, we're not quite there. We've been doing a lot of different alternative, uh, fundraising methods, uh, a lot of different raffles through chapters to help raise funds. Um, but yeah, the, the organization can't exist. We can't, we can't introduce women to hunting. We can't get kids outside. We can't help wounded veterans without money. It costs money. Um, and that's, you know, that's the driving force behind it. Um, what I am proud to say about the Turkey Federation is uh, 89 cents of every dollar is put right back on the ground. Yeah. Um, and that, that's just, it's, it's really cool to be a part of an organization that it does that well. Um, so fundraising part in New York, uh, we're hoping that things can get back to somewhat normalcy here soon. Uh, we are trying to schedule some events. Uh, golf tournaments are, are definitely up there because, uh, you know, you can get outside, you can safely socially distance yourself. Um, the, the typical indoor banquet hall style banquet has kind of been put on pause for a little while and uh, we're hoping to see that go back, but you know, it, it's going to take a little time. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're doing what we can. Um, we're, we're obviously looking for people to uh, renew their memberships right now. Memberships are down. It's a known fact that the majority of our membership comes through banquets and memberships are extremely important to this organization. Um, you know, if you support hunting and you support turkey hunting, you should really consider being a member of the Turkey Federation. Um, it's not just for financial reasons so that we can 
uh, do our mission. And also, you know, you go to Albany or you go to Washington and it, it's pull of saying th these people are in line with hunting and fishing and in this lifestyle. <laughs> um, you know, for, the, for every person that is a member of our organization, there's people on the other side that are against it joining and being members of other organizations that are trying to shut hunting down. Yeah. So, you know. And I would say, I would say just to kind of build off your point there, you know, it's not just for turkeys and turkey hunting, you know, this is a great organization. Like you said, 89 cents of every dollar is put back into it. Right. So mm -hmm. that trackable, cause I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've given money to charity and you see, you know, you see a, a CEO or a CFO of a nonprofit pull off in a Mercedes and you're like, mm, I don't know where that's going. So it's cool to actually see, a, you know, a foundation like the National Turkey uh, Foundation actually like you could see that number like that number is real. And that's awesome. And then also, you know, it's not just for turkey hunters or hunters in general. Like, you know, like what Kaylee's doing out there, you know, um, it's, it's for anybody that really just enjoys seeing wildlife or just, you know, giving back. So Kaylee, same thing. I know you talked about the NRCS and, and funding. Um, what are you kind of seeing the trends as far as, you know, uh, this year compared to last year? And I know we're only three months in, but. Yeah, I want to tie in a little bit to what Sean said, and then I'll definitely flow into that. So the, the thing that I think is really interesting and, I try to go to a couple different uh, fundraiser banquets every year. And what I like to do while I'm there, because I'm a biologist and I'm on the ground doing this work, I like to talk to people and do a little bit of like a before dinner, usually I can catch everyone's attention and just kind of let them know where the money's going because the money that they're donating it, as volunteers and as members, it's not just going into an organization. It's actually being put onto the ground and you can actually see the difference. It doesn't cost anything for landowners to have me come out. And it's partly because of our volunteers, but it's also part of the, the partnerships that we've made um, with other organizations such as NRCS and being able to partner with the states and with the federal government and with other um, nonprofits. It's, really beneficial just to everyone in general, the general public, um, in me being able to come out and help you guys and help people improve their land. And what's really cool, again, is the NWTF, yeah, we say National Wild Turkey Federation, but all of this habitat that I'm specializing in benefits a multitude of animals. It's not just turkeys. It's not just um, deer. It's, it's, getting even down into threatened and endangered species. Uh, one of the projects that I'd kind of like to hit on a little bit is a project that we're not only helping this threatened rabbit species, the New England cottontail, we're also able to, within this one project, help two endangered plant species and a federally listed endangered butterfly. Like it's, it's hmm. something that maybe you wouldn't have thought of, no. but it's pretty cool like when that's like, something that you can say that you helped and you can actually see the difference. And that's what all of, all of this is all about is getting the habitat healthy and getting it to where these animals will, will live and will be able to thrive into the future. Yeah. So, you know, let, let's, uh, let's start there. Right. So you have all these initiatives, you have all this, you know, whether it's money, like you said, it's going back into the ground, right? So one thing that in our industry that we are seeing a huge trend 
So is land development, okay? Man, we are crushing land development. Things are expanding and, you know, it, it, it's cool to have this, this conversation with, with both of you, especially. So we're seeing, you know, kind of, you know, species or, you know, wildlife species, their population kind of, you know, either going up or going down based on land development. Well, talk a little bit about the battle or the struggles that you guys are seeing with, you know, your, your goal is conservation, you know, or habitat, but yet you're seeing all these expansions of cities and these housing tracks. Talk a little bit about that battle of what you guys see on a daily basis. I'll, I'll take that one off a little bit. So it's, it really is a big issue, especially with, I'll mention it again, the New England cottontail. Fragmentation is one of the biggest issues that, that that rabbit species is having. And to give a little background, it's the only native rabbit um, cottontail species to New England. And so fragmentation, these animals aren't able to travel far. And as things get developed and ha as habitat gets destroyed and, and broken apart, having travel corridors is gonna be extremely beneficial to keeping these viable populations because it, it ends up kind of being like an island. So say um, there's a lot of habitat development and there's, there's multiple things that come up in this one area there were rabbits and now where this, these rabbits still are is now an island because everything around it is either a road or it's an open field or it's um, now a housing yeah. development. And these, these, particularly these rabbits are not able to travel very far without dense cover. And by dense cover, I mean 20,000 stems per acre, like thick shrubby habitat for yeah. their protection. And so fragmentation and development is a big issue with a lot of animals, a lot of wildlife species. Yeah, I heard this today from, um, from actually a, um, a veterinarian uh, down in Texas, who's actually going to be on our show next week. Uh, real cool guy, but he said uh, what he's noticed is, or the analogy he said, we're pretty much putting uh, certain wildlife species in a caged area with predators. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure, Sean, obviously, you know, you can probably speak to this. Are you guys, are you seeing a increase, um, you know, maybe in, in predation or nest raiders, as, you, as I think you guys call it in the, uh, when it pertains to turkeys? Um, well, I, I think there's definitely a natural cycle that goes on there. Um, you know, uh, Fisher and New York have definitely expanded their territory, um, mm -hmm. in the last, you know, few years and they're getting blamed big time for, uh, turkey populations. Um, just remember a fisher can only eat one turkey at a time mm -hmm. where loss of habitat can knock out a lot of turkeys at one time. Nice. Nice. Um, I think habitat is the, is the, the biggest driving factor behind that. If you got a hundred turkeys nested in one area and one fisher knocks out 10% of them, you know, you do the math of what you got left, but if you've only got two turkeys nesting in an area because of the habitat and a fisher knocks out 10% of them, you, you're stuck with one, turkey basically yeah. um or part of a turkey um 
Yeah. So it, it really comes down to habitat, definitely uh, expansion, development. There's a lot more human and animal conflict because of that. And that's right up your world, Brett. Oh, yeah. Um, so you're seeing it. We're seeing it as more of a habitat issue, um, whether it's uh, forests not being logged like they properly should be, um, or it's they're getting clear cut and you're seeing houses go in there. Um, you know, turkeys aren't, they're not going to nest underneath somebody's porch. Um, you know, they're, they, they like to be left alone. <laughs> so, um, you know, me personally growing up where I have, yeah, you can see it anywhere you go in the state. Yeah. So Kaylee, just to kind of piggyback off what Sean said, what are some of the things that you're doing to kind of supplement what we were just talking about as far as, you know, loss of habitat? Yeah, so absolutely. I was biting it. I was like gnawing at the bit here. So we, um, Sean really dove right into it. So we, um, we are seeing this throughout New York state. So there in the past hundred years, a lot of people have stopped farming. A lot of people have stopped manipulating their property in any way, such as logging. And these, these habitats do this thing called natural succession. And what happens is when you leave a field alone, it grows up into be shrubby. And then those shrubs then get overtaken by mature trees or trees. And then those trees become mature trees with a full canopy. There's not a lot of sunlight hitting the ground. So that understory starts to disappear along with high deer populations that eat all of the understory. We're seeing this, this mature forest throughout New York state. And it's kind of the majority of the forest habitat. And what makes a healthy forest habitat is having multiple age stands. So not having all of 200 acres be the same um, age, having a, a patch that's, that's young, maybe five to 10 years old and having a patch that's a hundred years old. And, and I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying that old growth isn't important because old growth forests are important, but it's also important to have younger stands of trees and to allow those trees to regenerate and go through this natural succession where you get these different types of habitat. And why it's important is because it's providing different areas for turkeys in different areas for, for songbirds to be able to nest. And when you're looking at turkey nesting, turkeys will start nesting as early as late March. And if you think about your woods out back right now, you guys might still have snow. I don't, but there's not a lot going on. It's all brown. And if you don't have any, any type of structure on the ground, then you're essentially setting your turkey hen up for failure because she has nowhere protected to, to lay her, her nest. And it's not just predators either. So this thick habitat and this structure on the ground is beneficial from a weather standpoint as well. A um, couple springs ago, and I, I think it was a couple springs ago, there was some really wet, cold springs that we had, and we didn't have very good pole production. And it not, wasn't necessarily because of predators, but it was because those hens were getting wet. And then the predator, when a hen gets wet, she emits more of a scent. And then predators are able to then find her and her nest, but even say that nest got all the way through and those chicks, those poults hatched, then being wet and cold like any other baby animal, 
is going to then succumb to being sick as well. And so this habitat benefits nesting turkeys from multiple aspects. It's not just predator protection, it's weather protection. And it's also just giving them a good start because the more food that's on the ground, then they're closer to the ground, the better for them. Nice, nice. Yeah, so like Sean was saying, you know, right up our avenue, right? So what we're seeing, uh, particularly in our industry of, you know, airport wildlife management, um, we're seeing a growing number of turkeys actually building nests in and around some of the airports that we, uh, that we manage. And it's kind of sad because we have to make that decision, you know, because, you know, it's, it's air, air safety, you know, um, we don't need them running across runways and, 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 you know, being a casualty of bird strikes. So we have to make that decision of like, okay, is it far enough away? Is it inside an airfield? So, you know, where, you know, that's, that's kind of the, you know, the burden of our industry. It's like, you know, yeah, well, you know, we're, we are conservationists at heart. We don't, you know what I mean? We don't want to see anything, any harm come to an animal unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, so with that said, um, what are some of, you know, let's say, you know, let's say, you know, I am a landowner, right? What are some of the things that I can do to kind of give back? I mean, I know you said it's free for you to come out and take a look, but what are some of the things that you guys are seeing that landowners um, have the ability to do that maybe they're just not doing or maybe they just don't know yet what to do? Well, I think I'll, I'll speak up here in that the couple things that I would do is number one, contact your local NRCS um, co-op area. Um, I think every county has one, if I'm right, Kaylee. And uh, just contact them. And, you know, every county's got different programs going on at different times, depending on, you know, what is a, a main focus uh, nationally with, you know, like right now in New England, you've got the New England Cottontail um, with Kaylee there. So just reach out to a biologist and have a conversation. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be a professional here, and um, we'd like to leave it to professionals to do it. And um, It's a good thing we have one today with us. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the other thing is, you know, New York's got different programs with seed subsidy and conservation corn that we provide and help with um, people planning winter forage for, for turkeys and wildlife. Um, it, there, there, there's a cost to it. It's not completely free, but you know, we try to help make it so that food plots are a little more affordable. Uh, cause we know that, you know, everything lives off of food. You can't, you know, turkeys eat, everything eats. So there's, there's mm -hmm. that part of it. Um, my, my advice as a regional director though, is reach out to a Turkey Federation biologist or reach out, reach out to your local NRCS and, and just see what's going on. Okay, Kaylee, go ahead, man. Yeah, so I, um, I will say that I, am only, I can only work in a few counties, um, essentially the counties that are touching the Hudson River, but we actually have another NWTF project biologist that covers the, wait a second, the, the Southwest part of New York State. 
um, that kind of touches like Pennsylvania. And then we actually even have um, an NFI forester that kind of works um, in, in different parts. That's also an NWTF employee that, that works in part of um, New York as well. And if you're interested, yeah, absolutely feel free to reach out to us. If you're in our area, um, we're glad to help. And we can always help you find someone that can help you. Um, as far as NRCS, that's a really excellent um, suggestion, Sean. So if you go, if you just Google NRCS local offices, it'll come up and then you can choose by your county and it'll actually help you figure out which office you should contact. And even within that, um, there's, there's usually a Cornell Cooperative um, extension, either around or in the same building sometimes. And there's always people there that have information as well. And I kind of want to touch on Sean's food plot. Um, I'm all for food plots. Um, I think they can be really beneficial. I would just suggest not piling food. Like don't do like a bag of corn in your backyard. Like that's not what we're talking about with food plots. Like food plots are, are bigger areas that are planted and are, will provide different things, especially when it comes to turkey broods. Please don't feed them just like in a pile. It honestly can hurt them more than it can help them. Um, I had a lady that called me because she just kept seeing her poults. She, she started out with two hens and roughly 20 poults and she, called me because she said almost every day there was a poult disappearing and she was asking me about it and come to find out she had been feeding them bird seed in the same spot every day. And all it does is attract predators, especially when those poults are so small and vulnerable. The hen's gonna go to that food and so are the hawks and so are the foxes and so are the coyotes and everything else. Um, so yeah, food plots, awesome. Piles of corn, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right, good. So let's shift gears here. So, you know, we kind of, we kind of talked about, I don't know, I don't want to say a sensitive subject, but, you know, kind of the doom and gloom of like our human thumbprint is pretty much devastating a lot of wildlife species. It really is. Um, and hopefully people listening to this will actually, you know, start, start noticing. Um, and I'm sure they are. So talk about, you know, obviously you guys have been very involved and you've worked, you've got some tenure under your belts. Um, what are some of like the, the wins, you know, what are some of the, the, the good like glory stories that you guys have been a part of where you've actually, you know, seen like, or maybe you just enjoyed making a huge difference. Cause I know you guys do two different things. So, um, so Sean, go ahead, man. Is there, is there, what's one of the things that you're just proud, proud to be a part of the NWTF and uh, some of the things that you've done? I think I think it's the NWTF as a whole, the the Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative that that Kaylee gave the numbers earlier. That we not only achieved those numbers in a ten year initiative, but we did it in eight years. Um, that gives us two years to uh, showboat, I guess you could call it. Yeah, we call um, it pad the stats, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, you, you know, it's just the people that come around that have shown that they love wildlife, they love conservation, they love being a part of it. To me, that's the victory is that there's more people out there that think like me and that want to see this passed down to another generation and let them enjoy it. Um, 
that that's what this is about. It's not about what I can get out of it today. It's what I can put into it today so that my grandkids and their kids can enjoy it later on down the road. And, you know, I encourage anyone that, you know, whether you're a hunter or, you know, out West, uh, forest fires are a problem and, you know, timber management out there and, you know, the Turkey Federation is very involved with that and that, that stems to clean water. And there, it's just, it's a, it's a big cycle. It's not just about the wild Turkey. It's about a lot of different things here. And, um, that's the coolest part to me about the whole thing. Kaylee, um, obviously, you know, you're doing, you're on the ground quite a bit and, and you're doing, you know, either land improvement or land preservation. What are some of the, the cool things that you've been a part of that you're really proud, you know, when you look back at, you know, your time spent with the NWTF? So, yeah, I really have been so fortunate to have good landowners and that are interested in what they're, what they're doing on their property and, and reaping the benefits. So I think the best part for me is seeing a project completed and having that landowner like see the benefit of it. Um, I've had two landowners that did contracts um, through NRCS to do work and they were so happy with their projects that they came to me right after they were completed and said, I wanna do another one. Where can I do more habitat improvement on my land? And um, a third one, a separate example, um, I had one that we did about a 15 acre young forest cut um, for this for this landowner and they had seen turkey lately. They're obviously around, but he was able to harvest a turkey right from that timber cut that we did. And he didn't have to work hard for it. He got to kind of just hang out in that, in that new cut and the turkeys came to him. Um, and so having people enjoy these enhancements that we're doing and seeing the benefit and and being able to teach people that just because you're cutting a tree doesn't mean a Walmart's going to pop up. It, it's really, it's really kind of, that's the best part for me is seeing the full circle of someone that wants to do some improvement and then them being happy with what happens and seeing how it improves the habitat for wildlife. Nice. So now you guys, obviously, whether it's at the NWTF or, or, you know, uh, your colleges there, um, <laughs> I know talking to to either um, wildlife management um, students or biologist students, you guys always have some really, really good stories, right? And most of them predicate around like either just doing awful work <laughs> when you're just getting started or when you're doing a, a, an internship. So what comes to mind when I say, give me, give me that story where you're just like, what am I doing? Like, is this real? <laughs> Uh, well, there's one that pops into mind. I was working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, as an internship, and I was so excited to go out. I was like one of the first days, so I was trapping and banding black ducks um, for research and, and population estimates, and so I was so excited because I was going to get to run the rocket net for the first time by myself, and I was so excited about it that I backed the truck into a pole barn. <laughs> I just didn't even look in the rear view mirror. Like I was just like, yeah, I gotta get out and check my traps. And I backed the truck and had to buy a new tailgate. It was, 
it was quite embarrassing. But I mean, I feel like that's just too, that day. I feel like that's just too easy to, to comment on female drivers, but you know. <laughs> was that before? It. Was that before backup cameras were a thing? Oh yeah, no, no, no. We didn't have backup cameras. <laughs> All right, Sean, how about you, man? So, I guess if you want to bring up the college stuff, that's where I'll go. Um. For me, I made a comment earlier about how wildlife management is what got me through school. Um, so hunting is what got me through school and it almost got me out of school. Um, you know, when I graduated high school, I played sports and I decided I didn't want to do any college sports or anything. I wanted to hunt. I wanted to fish. I wanted to do my own time. I didn't want a coach or anybody telling me I had to be a certain place at a certain time. So for two years in the fall, I would get put on academic probation because I was skipping class and going hunting every day. And every, every spring, I would basically end up on the dean's list because they threatened to throw me out of school. So I, uh, I'd knuckle down and get like a 3.8 GPA for that semester just so I didn't get tossed out of school because I knew my parents wouldn't be very happy with me. Um, that was at a community college. Then I went to Cobalt Skill and got into wildlife management and Definitely got a lot more serious and realized that, you know, it took me a year or two and I said, you got to stop doing this. You're going to be in here forever. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like we went to, I, I feel like we were roommates in college, actually. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's a fun story for you. So I actually got asked to leave uh, Finger Lakes because uh, I pulled a prank uh, one night. And uh, so we were playing football in the snow and outside our dorms and there's all these road cones, right? So we made a football field out of these road cones and uh, we thought it would be funny to, uh, to cone when we were done to cone off the, the teacher's parking lot, which was at, you know, our school was at the top of the hill, right? So we thought it would be hilarious. We're going to cone off the teacher's parking lot and they got to, they got to park where we park, which is at the bottom of the hill. Um, so that next morning I wake up and we're like, oh man, this is going to be great. You know, we coned it off. We put a, you know, no parking sign up there and everything. And um, yeah, so uh, I see a bunch of ambulances like flying by as I'm walking to class. And one of the professors actually <laughs> who had a heart condition, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, had a, had a, had an episode and had to be, rushed to the uh, hospital and uh, so we had thought we got away with it and uh, and then uh, campus security knocks on my door and I forgot that we left like two cones in the back of my truck so, <laughs> oh so, no yeah so but I will say before I got asked to leave um, my dumbest class that I took and it wasn't dumb it was awesome but I couldn't believe that they actually gave me college credit for it was I did beginner camping, advanced camping, oh. and bass fishing. Nice. Yeah. Do you guys take any classes like that? <laughs> I have one that I wished I would have taken. I wish I would have done scuba diving because you like legit could get certified. Certified? Yeah. Like in like one semester. And I regret that like every, every time I want to go down like South America and go like snorkeling and I have yeah. to go snorkeling because I can't scuba dive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in my class, so in, in, in beginner camping, they, they took us to this like Boy Scouts camp. And like, you know, I grew up in the outdoors. 
so I'm like making fires and stuff like that and everybody's like you know you know like oh uh, you know but I got a college credit out of it and then I took advanced camping or which was like survival camping and they threw us up in the Adirondacks with just what we had in the backpack and we had to like <laughs> we had to survive for like a weekend which is no big deal and then bass fishing I mean, they just taught us how to like <laughs> read topographic maps and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and yeah. So Sean, did you take any, uh, any random classes in college? Yeah, there was golf, there was bowling. Um, yeah. one of my favorite classes I ever took in college was actually welding. <laughs> and, um, That's helpful. It was great. I loved it. Honestly. Um, it's a, it's a life skill. So yeah, there's some, uh, there was a few random ones like that and, uh, but they were fun. Nice. All right. So we're going to end on this one here, right? So, and I want to get both your guys's, you know, perspectives because, you know, um, cause I kind of feel like it's our duty, um, as you know, I mean, for, for what, for whatever purpose you want to call it, I mean, you guys are, are basically, not only are you ambassadors to the brand of the NWTF, but for wildlife biologists, for wildlife management students out there uh, that don't know that these jobs actually exist. You know, we hear this all the time. Like, you know, I can be an airport wildlife biologist. Um, so yeah, just uh, talk to me like, you know, hey, I I'm, a, I'm a college student and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, not only what your journey was, but the, the opportunities that kind of, you know, that you can, that you can, that you can get out in the uh, in the workforce right now you want i can start yeah um, so it's it's actually interesting that you kind of brought up this question i i um uh, i have a horse and he's currently at not at my properties he's at a barn and i was talking to one of the girls that's about to go to college and she was like well what do you do and i was like oh well, like let me explain it to you a little bit and she was like I did not even know that that job existed. She was like, I had no idea that you could could work in the woods and and like kind of just have such a an interesting job. Um, and I was like, yeah, like girl, like go do different like tag alongs with other people. Like if if you're not sure what you're gonna do, like if you're not if you're in college already or you're about to go, like go job shadow people. Like I've ruled out so many things I didn't want to do through job shadowing. Um, it, yeah, I think that would be one of my biggest like things that like, if you advice, my biggest advice things would be like, go do job shadowing, talk to people and see what you think you might want to do and try it. And then as far as advice, when you're in school, I think one of the biggest things that I would say would be if you have an opportunity to if you are interested in wildlife biology, if you have an opportunity to dual major in wildlife and forestry, do it. If you have an opportunity to take forestry classes, do it. That's something that I feel I wish that I could do. Because I had my meeting with a forester this morning and he looks at things differently. He looks at the trees different. He looks at like the projects differently. And to be able to combine wildlife management and forestry is something that is rare and really beneficial. And then along with that, um, the more on the ground experience you can get, the more it's gonna help you get a job. So if your school isn't doing a lot of on the ground education, go get an internship. Get an internship, 
like not even in your state as long as it provides housing go like that was kind of my rule when I was in college I was like as long as it provides me housing I'm going to go any and any everywhere everywhere and anywhere that I can because it gives you an opportunity to get on the ground experience which is invaluable in my opinion so let's just put it this way right so we'll, we'll get a little bit more specific let's say I, I, I you know I'm a female in high school and I love the outdoors right if you could do it all over again, like where do you start? What, where do you start going? And where do you start looking? Uh, so female and you're interested in the outdoors. Um, I would probably start by looking into your state wildlife agency. Um, and, or if you have a specific animal that you're interested in, say you really like elk, like go look up the Rocky Mountain Elk Federation. If you really like turkey, come look up NWTF and go and talk to people there's there's lists like my emails on on the on the website so like go find someone that you can can reach out to i know myself personally i would be more than happy to talk to any young person not even a girl that's interested in in a profession outside that you can enjoy um i'd be happy to talk to any of them so yeah that'd be my first place i would start would be to go find a state agency that it deals with the outdoors because it could be park and rec like maybe you want to be a park ranger maybe you want to do interpretive um tours at yellowstone like go look into those type of things the national park service state park services that's awesome good answer all right sean big shoes man <laughs> big spot because <laughs> she killed it right there so oh. Kaylee's probably a lot fresher out of college than you and I are, so definitely listen to her. Um, what I would say is make yourself marketable. Um, don't think that you're going to go to school for one specific thing and you're going to come out doing exactly that. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Never in a million years did I think that I was going to go to school for wildlife management and come out selling uh, gun raffle tickets for a living. Um, <laughs> But the impact that I'm able to make for wildlife every day by doing that, does, is it a little bit non-traditional and look a lot different than Kaylee's? Absolutely. But, you know, it's, it's a partnership. We always joke around, like, with us as regional directors to the biologists, we raise the money and they spend it. Um, yeah. You know, that it's a great partnership and it's a great relationship. Um, you know, I took welding in school. You know, that's something that can make yourself marketable. You know, you you take some of these wildlife management jobs, you could be on a log road in the Rocky Mountains at 10,000 feet and something could break. Um, you know, so just some mechanical ability and whatnot can definitely make yourself marketable to companies. Um, you know, uh, if you get an opportunity maybe to take a business class while you're, while you're in school and the new thing right now that wasn't there when I was there is drones, um, getting qualified in drone stuff and Man, there's, there's a million different things out there that you can take in classes that sound silly, but, you know, yeah. survival camping. I got buddies that lived up in the Arctic Circle for a summer banding eiders, and, you know, that they weren't living in a, in a nice cottage or anything. They were probably living out of a tent, so um, there's some survival camping for you on the job. Um, you know, I'd say make yourself marketable and, and definitely talk to professionals. Um, 
get involved with an organization in the area that, that you like. Uh, I'm definitely going to put a plug in for the Turkey, uh, Turkey Federation. Um, but a lot of our schools and colleges around are starting to get collegiate chapters mm -hmm. in the NGO world. And the kids that come through there, the help, they're, they're great. They're awesome. Um, I tell every single one of them that volunteers for me that if you need a, a reference letter or anything, uh, come to me, no problem. Um, and it's really kind of cool to see them graduate and some of the jobs they're getting to go do. Um, anywhere from putting, you know, they volunteer for the Turkey Federation, but some are out in Wyoming putting uh, GPS tractors on mule deer and some of them are banding ducks and in Maryland or wherever, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place. And, you know, don't, don't get hung up on the name Turkey. It's we're conservation for, for all wildlife. And, you know, I'm a duck hunter. I'm a deer hunter. I, I do everything. So if you get that opportunity to volunteer, do it because when it comes down to a resume, they like to see who's gone above and beyond too. Yeah. It, it's cool that you say like, you know, how, you know, how it is changing, right? Like, I never, I mean, when I was in college, um, you know, oh man, 16 years ago, um, not to age me, but you know, stop laughing, Kaylee. Um, but, uh, like now every, pretty much every college has a bass fishing team, you know, or like you said, you talked about drones. I actually, so, uh, doing what we do, uh, I actually saw a joke online and it said, uh, um, people who operate drones are the crossfitters of aviation and I thought that was just I just thought that was hilarious uh, but like the FAA has I mean the drone world holy crap is taking off and we use it we use it in wildlife management we I mean I've even used them you know deer scouting uh, which is kind of like our new thing, you know, taking an overhead look at, you know, some, you know, some terrain and whatnot, because, you know, it's, it's cool to use Onyx and things like that, and, and these GPS apps, but, you know, to, to actually see a bird's eye view of it is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that, those are really great advices. So, um, so when I was in college, I had a professor, professor say to us, like, in the first week or two of starting there that, you know, even though we're taking wildlife management, wildlife management is 99% people management and 1% wildlife management. 100%. I didn't know what that meant at the time. And now I 100% do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, so if you're looking into it, you may be surprised at what it is. And I'm not trying to scare anybody from it. I'm just trying to say, do some more research and learn about it before you, before you make a decision. I'll take it one step further too. Um, public speaking, right? Okay. So, all right, you know, let's just, you know, podcast didn't exist when we were in college. Like no. now, you know, especially with COVID, I mean, I always say this to everybody, COVID has changed the way that not only we live, but COVID's changed the way that we're going to do business. And it's also changed the way that we're going to, it's changing the, our outreach right? So, you know, take a public speaking class because you wouldn't, you, you'll never know. There may be a time where you're going to have to give a presentation as a wildlife biologist to a group of people and, or as a chapter president 
and you're wanting people to open their checkbooks or you know retain some information so being able to speak in public without um uh, and jittery especially for the generation that's coming up that lives and dies by you know a screen so that's a really good point i do a lot of public speaking um especially with um <laughs> oops so especially with my job when i first started with this position nobody knew about the program nobody knew that there was a biologist that was working with NRCS that could come out to your property. So what I did was I reached out to rod and gun clubs. I reached out to land trust. And what I ended up doing was giving presentations to their member base. And so I would talk to minimum groups of like 25 people. And that was probably a couple times a month um, for the first two years. And so public speaking is a really good point to bring up absolutely and then there's also public forums um with previous jobs i've had to do public forums when i've worked for the state agencies when you have something that you're bringing to the table for example say a management plan that you're going to do on a on a wildlife management area those are open for public comment and sometimes you have to go talk to a room of 50 to 100 people to explain to them what you want to do on their neighboring property and so yeah public speaking is a really good point yeah, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, I mean, because I've been to, you know, Sean, I've been to quite a few of the uh, chapter banquets. Um, <laughs> I, you, I keep coming back to your, your, your plug there of selling raffle tickets, but, you know, you have to get up in front of these, these large groups of people and kind of give almost like a state of the union address. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, there's, there's definitely um, some more serious moments of the job, you know, given the state of the union and, and then me personally, just my personality, I like clowning around and having fun with people. And I've got no problem with being the, uh, the guy in the room that everybody's laughing at. It doesn't bother sure. me. Um, so I think that comes with being husky and handsome. So, you know, yeah, it, it's definitely, <laughs> it, it's a burden that I carry. Yeah. It's the cross I bear as well. So don't worry about it, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's um, I got this podcast duty. Yeah, no, no offense to the old guy, but yeah, <laughs> it's uh, I, I've done everything public speaking from running banquets to being asked to come give a presentation at the uh, town or county historical society because they're inducting a chapter president, and uh. You know, I, I've asked to speak at different things that maybe just a presentation at a hunt club, mm -hmm. like Haley mentioned, uh, um, talking at a uh, in a college class, presenting sure. what turkey federation, whichever. Um, there is no lack of public speaking in the wildlife world. There's always somebody asking you to present something. Absolutely, you better to let somebody else do it than that, right? But that's right, yeah. and you can't do it through a text message, so you got to learn no, how you to. Can't. Talk. Yeah, I mean, so when I uh, when I first got out of college, I mean, I was a janitor, and then I got a, my big boy job, my breakthrough job there, uh, selling payroll and HR. And I remember taking uh, a CPA firm out for you know, which was part of the part of the gig, you know, um, taking them out for dinner and drinks, and you know, we're at a bar socializing, small talk, trying to you know, basically not be a chameleon, but you know, 
figure out if this guy wants, you know, funny Brett opposed and goofy Brett, or like, you know, hey, talk to me about tax credit, Brett. Um, and then the very next day, you know, with that same firm that we were out drinking with, uh, having to stand up in front of the entire firm and all their employees and do a CPE seminar on the new tax laws. Um, and, you know, in my early 20s, I was like, man, I am so thankful. You know, I dabbled in radio. I dabbled. I took a public speaking class because, man, that that I would have made a mess of that. I mean, I probably did seeing as, you know, might, might have been a little hungover, but whatever. We got through it. So, um, all right. Good stuff. All right. Here, here's your last chance to do a plug for the NWTF. Sean, we'll start with you. Just uh just talk about how somebody can get involved, what they can make a difference, and uh, how they can get a hold of you. So when you uh, when you think uh, charity organizations, you're always thinking generosity, and um, we get a lot of people all the time says, "Hey, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to be generous to the Turkey Federation, but you know, I'm kind of struggling right now. I'm living paycheck by paycheck, whatever it may be." I'd say, "Listen, generosity isn't just uh, it's not just money. It could be time." It could be uh, maybe own some property that uh, a ch local chapter could utilize to take a kid out hunting or, or maybe do a, a, a habitat seminar on the property, whatever it may be. Um, there's many different ways that, that you can be involved with the Turkey Federation. I would encourage everyone to start with becoming a member. It's 35 bucks. Um, you can't, you you can you can't go out to dinner anymore for under thirty five dollars, so it's thirty five dollars. You can get a membership. You can sign right up online at the nwtf.org website, and actually you'll get a twenty five dollar Bass Pro gift card when you do it. So really, you start doing the math. I was going to spend twenty five plus dollars at Bass Pro anyway, and you know, so to me, it's like a ten dollar membership. Yeah, um, I was going to spend thirty five dollars at Arby's later, but yeah. <laughs> uh, makes sense to me <laughs> yeah may, maybe uh maybe instead of arby's you give the turkey federation 35 dollars and skip lunch yeah. <laughs> well, i've already got i've already got my um yeah so i actually i have to i have to sign up my stepdaughters so that's actually a good i was at they were supposed to sign up at our uh at our golf tournament that we were putting on but yeah. that got canceled so so yeah. good plug there you just reminded me so that's a great that's a great way to immediately get involved and get connected is become a member reach out to a local chapter if you don't have one uh, obviously we'd love to start one um, but you can get a hold of me my information is on the uh, Turkey Federation website you can go to a specific a specific state so if you do live in another state find your state and you'll find the contacts um, we're all over Facebook um, but yeah, get a hold of a regional director or biologist if you want to get more involved, whether you want to uh, attend a banquet or a fundraiser, whether you want to make a donation, whether you want to be a volunteer, uh, or maybe you've got um, something special that you think you could offer uh, for the Turkey Federation for an outreach program. We're, we're all ears. We, we, we're a membership, volunteer-based organization, and that's that's our driving force and that's what means the most to us and so we we value every member every volunteer okay. kaylee you're up those are some big shoes to fill so uh, you guys are even then <laughs> <laughs> 
what I really love about NWTF is that it's not just turkeys. It's not just hunting. We really do try to incorporate everyone and make everybody feel welcome, whether it's a women's program or it's a, making habitat for a songbird. Like it's, it's all inclusive. And I think that when you really dig down into it and look into it, um, you can give your money to a lot of different places and you can give your time to a lot of different places. But I think that the mission that NWTF has really is a good one. It's really, all of us feel wholehearted about it and we really enjoy what we do and we enjoy being able to make a difference. And so I think that um, Sean had some really great things for you guys to go up and look into. And I know right now it's weird with COVID, but usually on our website, if you go to the events page, you can look for different events that are in your area. And it's not just the banquets um, where there's fun raffles and you can win different things. It's, it's the Jake's events. If you want your children to learn about outside things that you don't know about, or if you want your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter to be able to participate with outdoors things, go look into a women's event. Um, I think that just kind of checking us out, you'll see for yourself kind of what we're, we're all about. Um, and then, yeah, my contact is on um, under New York State. If you go into our website, go to New York State, then you'll find um, my contact and I'm happy to reach out to anyone and talk to anyone about opportunities here and, and different things that I could help out with. Perfect. Well, listen, um, I, I loved having both of you guys on today. I learned a lot and uh, it was definitely enjoyable for me. Um, so we're probably going to have to do this again, you know, um, down the line here, maybe. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So thank you for, for, for your time, uh, Kaylee and Sean, uh, NWTF. I am a huge fan uh, and I hope, um, I hope people enjoy this episode. Um, on behalf of uh, the Airport Wild podcast, uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you leave a review if you like this episode. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, check out our YouTube page. Um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you both. Thank you.